chapter 21. I'm going to go. I'm going to back up to a couple of verses at the end of chapter 20 because they um, they have a relationship to the short passage in chapter 21. So Luke chapter 20, verse number 45. The Bible says, Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples. Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses. Notice that, which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. And he looked up. And saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance... Cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. There is an oft quoted statement that says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why is that? Why is it more blessed to give than it is to receive? Perhaps it's because when we do something for somebody else, there is a sense of blessing that settles on our heart. It feels good to do something kind and generous for somebody else. There's a feeling of blessing when we do something kind and generous for somebody else. And that blessing goes both ways. The person who receives that kindness realizes that they are appreciated. They experience the rich feeling of appreciation and love. They feel blessed. And so this this thing of giving and receiving carries a blessing both directions. But But the one who initiates the kindness has a greater blessing than the one that receives the kindness. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But this morning, I want you to take notice that there's another direction in this this giving and receiving, this being blessed. And feeling blessed. And that is what God experiences when God watches somebody be kind to another person. From the birth of Community Baptist Church, God has placed in her membership some amazingly generous, kind people. It's been a privilege to have been the pastor of Community Baptist Church now for over 25 years. And over those 25 years, it's been amazing to see the people that have made up Community Baptist Church at every stage throughout its, our history. God has put in CBC and filled CBC with generous people. Whether it was whether that generosity was was seen in the sacrificial giving of people to to send and to support missionaries all over the world, or, or whether it was generosity that was displayed by people who gave sacrificially to to provide for the ministries here in Northern Virginia of Community Baptist Church. Or whether it was was a, a person in Community Baptist Church finding out that another person in Community Baptist Church had a need and they were generous and sacrificial in meeting that need. 
I mean, however that generosity came and went, it's been amazing to, to think about the generosity of the people that have made up Community Baptist Church throughout these years. And I want you to know that generous people are blessed people. They feel blessed because it feels good to be kind to somebody. And people who receive that kindness are blessed because it feels good to know that somebody loves you and appreciates you. But I want you to focus for a few moments this morning on the fact that when somebody is generous and kind to another person, God is blessed. (laughs) Did you know that you can bless God? How can you bless someone who has everything? How can you bless someone who is unlimited in all that he has? You can. You can bless God. And we learned from God's Word this morning that we can be a blessing to God. And we are a blessing to God. Now, we are in week, or or in uh, day number Tuesday. I guess that's not a number, but uh, we are in Tuesday of the last week of Jesus' life on earth. He's in Jerusalem. He has gone into Jerusalem on Sunday, the day of demonstration, then back to Bethany. He then went back into Jerusalem on Monday, the day of authority, and he took over the temple, and then back to Bethany. And then he came back into Jerusalem on Tuesday uh, to come into a hornet's nest of angry religious leaders because of what he had done the day before. And all day long, Jesus Christ has dealt with these apostate religious leaders. He fired them, told them he was putting somebody else in charge of God's work on earth. That made them even madder than what they already were. He has had a difficult day throughout the day, dealing with these individuals. We read the last two verses of chapter 20 where Jesus said to his disciples, beware these apostate leaders. And one of the things he noted is that these apostate leaders are not very kind to widows. And then chapter 21 begins and tells us, that he looked up and he began to watch people. Well, let's get an idea with a couple of schematics here of the temple area. I want you to see where we're focusing our attention. This is the temple, the temple that would have been very similar to this in style, certainly in size, to the one that was standing there. In Jesus' day. And the vantage point that we're looking at, it is pretty close to what you would look at from the Mount of Olives. Looking down onto the temple platform. Of course, this is the temple building. Uh, Just outside the temple building is where they sacrificed all the animals. There would have been the brazen laver and the uh, brazen, the brazen altar and the brazen laver. Inside the Holy place would have been the candlestick and the table of showbread and the altar of incense. And then inside the Holy of Holies would have been the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and the cherubim. Outside of all of this were courtyards all around the building. This out here was the, the uh, actually out here was the courtyard of the Gentiles. Gentiles were not allowed to go past that little low uh, Then they would, Jews would would come through and they would come into this. This is the courtyard of the women. Now, that doesn't mean that only women were in that courtyard. It does, however, mean that women were not allowed to go beyond that courtyard. They could not go through those doors there. So this was called the court of the women. In this courtyard, it would hold thousands of people and was a busy, 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 busy place. If you've ever been over to Israel or you've ever watched any video of, of Jewish people when they're celebrating and when they're, when they're uh, uh, singing and, and holding hands and dancing in a circle and twirling and just, they're an excited people. 
And there had been a lot of activity going on out here in this court. This is where rabbis would teach. One of the places where they would teach their students. I want you to notice that this court of the women is surrounded by a colonnade. And that colonnade had a roof on it. People would gather there and they would look down onto the court of the women and the activity and watch. Underneath the roof in the colonnade is what was called the treasury. This is the area. And by the way, there were four big, huge candle, uh, uh, oil uh, candles, candelabras. It was here where Jesus Christ declared, I and the light of the world. Those four big, humongous, uh, with big basins of oil, and, and that, that illuminated the whole temple area. Jesus Christ said, that ain't nothing. I am the light of the world. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, we won't have any sun, moon. We don't need any sun or moon. Jesus is the light. Will be for all of eternity. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So, so this is the area. Now, let's go to the next picture. Here's a little bit of a, uh, another vantage point that gives you a little bit more of a close-up. This is the court of the women. This underneath, okay, on top is, is gathering places where people would gather and they would look down into the court of the women. And underneath it is this colonnade, room after room after room after room. It was called the treasury. That's where these events are happening. And then on the next slide, you get a little bit more of a close-up of, of this corner. So in these rooms, this is called the treasury. Now, why was it called the treasury? Because inside those rooms, there were 13 trumpet-shaped collection, offering collection uh, things. And, and trumpet-shaped because there, there was a, it was a, a box that would hold all the offerings, but then on top of the box there would be a big metal lid that would come into a narrow part and then open up like a trumpet, like flared out like a trumpet. And they were called trumpet-shaped uh, offering things. And there, in fact, let's go ahead and go to the, the next slide, and, and you'll see when I'm up. We apologize. We're, um, our, for those of you who haven't, aren't normally here, our projector blew up a few weeks ago, and uh, we're trying to get the replacement in, and so uh, it's dim but if, if, you, if your eyes can adjust to it a little bit, uh, you'll see that there is this trumpet-shaped, this flared-out thing here. That's the offering thing. comes into a narrow neck, and then it opens up and drops into this big wooden box. And these are the, the uh, offering locations where people would come in and they would, they would give their offerings. Now, they, there was 13 of them in those of that colonnade, spread around that colonnade, and, and some were for different purposes. They, had, they were labeled. They were labeled like, you know, some were for poor. People would, would make donations to be used to take care of poor people. Some were for the maintenance of the temple. It's kind of like, like uh, when we fill out an offering envelope and we designate the money. We designate so much to this and so much to this. Well, that's how they did it. They, they just put it in different receptacles. And, and that's, that's where all of this is happening in our story this morning. Jesus Christ, after a very busy day, Jesus Christ began to watch people. In his humanity, he's probably weary. It's been a long day of conflict. He's probably a bit tired. Physically and emotionally and spiritually, with regards to the, what is poured out of him in the contest with apostate religious leaders that were leading people to hell, that he was, was speaking against. He's been preaching the gospel. Luke chapter 20, verse 1 tells us he's preaching the gospel as well as uh, teaching the disciples as well as being confronted with these religious leaders. And now it's late in the day. And Jesus Christ turns away from the people that had been in a contest with him. And he begins to watch people. People were milling around in the treasury. The Bible says in verse number one, he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. So they, he was watching people in these rooms that surrounded the court of the women where he had been. And he's watching people. Are you a people watcher? 
My wife loves to watch people. Back in the pre-COVID day, if we were going anywhere that required air transportation, she loved sitting in airports watching people. I would rather sit in an airport and read a book, but she enjoys watching people. Well, Jesus is watching people. Just in your mind's eye, imagine him leaning up against one of those pillars that surrounded the portico or maybe or maybe sitting on something there. And he's looking into the treasury, some of the rooms of the treasury, and he's watching the people. And several of the people are giving offerings. And so he's watching the people as they give their offerings. And and he's struggled with these wealthy, these powerful, self-centered men throughout the day. And, and some of those men are in here giving their offerings. But then he notices something that refreshes his spirit. He notices one poor widow lady. And he... And he fixes his eyes on her and he watches her. He's been watching some of the some of the people that are more wealthy, well-to-do. They've been coming in and they've been bringing in their offerings. These, these offerings, these trumpet-shaped offerings, things had metal tops. And their offerings were not paper money like what we have. They would have dropped coins. Some of them dropped lots of coins, coins that were valuable coins. And so you can imagine the noise that would make. You hear someone all of a sudden, a bunch of clatter, 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 clatter. And you look at it, some wealthy person pouring in a bunch of valuable coins into the top of this trumpet shape. And they're bouncing down into that narrow neck. And then they fall into the offering box. And Jesus is watching them give. But then at another box... At another offering location, Jesus Christ watches as probably not even not even known or not even observed by most anybody. I mean, people were being drawn, if anything, to the clatter of the rich people dropping all those coins in. But this little unassuming woman slips up and the Bible says she just had a couple of coins. Two mites, the smallest, most insignificant coin in their coinage of the day. Two little, small, tiny mites. The smallest, the least valuable. And she slips up and she, she drops them in. They don't make any noise. They'd hardly be even noticed. And Jesus Christ watches it. And that little lady... That little unnamed lady refreshed his spirit. She blessed Jesus Christ. And she made it into the Bible Hall of Fame as a heroine of all of those people who have loved Jesus Christ, lived and served Jesus Christ. One of the best known women in the ministry of Jesus Christ, this unassuming, unnamed woman. What a contrast she is to the wealthy people who made a racket pouring all their big coins into the baskets. And she blessed Jesus Christ. Jesus immediately calls his disciples together. In fact, you may want to just hold your finger in Luke, but turn over to Mark chapter 11. You see on your, on your little handout, Mark, 11, Mark 12, I'm sorry, Mark 12 is mentioned uh, in your little handouts. And I want you to note that uh, there are a couple of words in Mark 11 that are not in Luke. But I want you to notice in Mark 12, I'm sorry, I keep saying Mark, Mark 11, Mark 12, verse number 43, the Bible says he called unto him his disciples. And saith unto them. So get the picture. Jesus is there. Lots of people milling around. A lot of people coming in and, and putting their offerings in the offering containers. Rich people putting in lots of money. This little unassuming woman slips up and drops in two coins. Hardly even be noticed. But Jesus saw it. And Jesus immediately turns to his apostles, his, his disciples. And he says, hey guys, 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 come here, come here. Did you see what I just saw? 
Did you notice what I just observed? And Jesus Christ, who had been so blessed by what this little lady did, drew the attention of the disciples to it. And Jesus Christ spoke to them about what blessed his heart. This morning, I want us to learn that you can be a blessing to God. And it doesn't cost much. (laughs) You can be a blessing to God. I want you to listen as Jesus Christ teaches us four simple lessons that have put this little lady into the the Bible Hall of Fame for women in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Here's four simple lessons. The first lesson is that God sees how I give. If you did turn over to Mark chapter 12, verse number 41 emphasizes that word how. In verse 41, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how, how the people cast in, cast money into the treasury. How? God sees how I give. That's an important lesson for me to learn. If, if I want to be a blessing to God, if I want to bring a smile to the face of Jesus Christ, if I want Jesus Christ to look down from heaven and And be blessed by what he sees in my life. I need to understand that God sees how I give. Zechariah 4.12 says, Who have despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. God's eyes run to and fro through the whole earth watching me. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding evil and good. Proverbs 5.21, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. God watches my life. And one of the areas of my life that God watches, He watches how I give. He, He watches and He sees the motive of my heart. He sees the smile on my face. He sees the twinkle in my eye. When I meet the need of another person that I found out about. When I give so that a missionary can preach the gospel in Papua New Guinea. When I give to finance his kingdom work here in Northern Virginia. God watches what I do, but he watches how I give. He knows whether I give casually or carefully, stingily or generously, grudgingly or cheerfully, the least possible or the most possible. He watches and he knows and he observes whether I'm giving as if I'm paying taxes or giving a thanksgiving offering to thank God for my salvation. How I give. The state of my heart as I give. You see, I can be a blessing to God. When God sees the joy of my heart, the love in my heart that is willing to take what I have and use it to help somebody else, to finance God's kingdom someplace. God sees what prompts that. He sees how I am giving to Him. And when He sees how I give, God is blessed by what He sees. Here's a second lesson. God not only sees how I give, but in our text, He sees what I give. In our text, verse number 4, He said, For all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God. I want you to notice God sees big gifts that are given. God sees big gifts that are given. You know, some people God enables to be able to do remarkable things for His kingdom purposes on earth. And praise God for those who God has given the ability to earn money in the amount that they're able to do remarkable things. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Charge them that are rich in this world. This is, this is a letter written to a preacher about how to pastor a church. 
And he said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. They're uncertain because they can be here today and gone tomorrow. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Some people, God allows to be rich on earth. And God said to this preacher, Timothy, said, encourage the rich people in the church not to trust their money and certainly don't become proud of their money, high-minded, but rather tell them to be ready Anxious and willing for God to lay on their hearts to use those resources for his purposes so that they're ready to distribute. And God sees those big gifts. Oh, over 25 years, God has put some generous people at Community Baptist Church who God has touched their hearts and they've done remarkable things. Big gifts. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is blessed by the giving of people. I read this. This was in the Boston Globe back on March 23rd, 2004. It was an article entitled Fortune Given Away. It was about a man by the name of Tommy White. Tommy White was 84 years of age at the time when this article was written. And the article in the Boston Globe told that Tommy White had almost achieved his life's goal. What was his life's goal, you ask? His life's goal was to give away his entire fortune. White was a Boston businessman, and when the article was written, he had given away $75 million. The article said when people ask him why, he responds, quote, give me three reasons why I shouldn't. And then would follow it up with three reasons why he should. He said, number one, I can't take it with me. Number two, my kids are okay. Number three, my wife's taken care of. So why shouldn't I give all this stuff away? And then he also said, quote, I am motivated a lot by what Jesus wants me to do. And I think he wants me to help make the world a better place. Tom White had been on the boards of Harvard Divinity School, Boston College, the JFK Library, and the New England Patriots. His, his company built Foxborough Stadium. He was a well-known man. I don't know if he's still living or not. At the time of this writing, he was a well-known man in that area. But he said that his proudest relationship was not with Harvard Divinity School, Boston College, or the New England Patriots for whom he built their stadium. He said, my proudest relationship is with the poorest country on the Western Hemisphere, Haiti. He was involved in a number of projects in Haiti to make life easier on the people that lived there. He said occasionally he gets a call from Harvard University, his alma mater. He graduated from Harvard. He said he occasionally receives a call from Harvard University requesting a donation as universities would request from their graduates who became uh, successful in business. He, he said this, this is, quote, he said, for heaven's sake, you've got $15 billion over there, and I've got people over here in Haiti starving to death. You tell me what I should do. He didn't leave his fortune to Harvard. But he did add with a chuckle, I still give $1,000 a year to Harvard so my classmates will still talk to me. The article ended, quoting Tommy White, he said, I have one regret. 
My one regret in life is that I'm sorry I don't have more money to give away. He's only given away $75 million. You know, God sees big gifts. People that God has enabled to have resources, to channel those resources into places that God wants to meet needs. God sees those big gifts. But that's not what this story is about. He watched those people give their money. But that's not what this story is about. This story is about Jesus Christ seeing small gifts. Small gifts. Verse number two said he saw also a certain widow, poor widow, casting in hither thither two mites. That, that would have been a six, one sixty-fourth of a working man's daily wage at that time. What is a daily man's working working man's daily wage today and divide it by sixty-four and in her world, that's about what she had that she dropped in. Someone had estimated at some point in time that it was probably a couple of bucks. But God took account of it. God saw it. You know, a few years ago, a child stopped by the church office after a church service and handed me a quarter. And said, Preacher, would, would you please put this in the offering for me? You know, God saw that quarter. That quarter didn't make a mortgage payment. But God saw that quarter. Because God sees small gifts. And God is blessed by small gifts. As well as the large gifts. Here's a third lesson I want you to note from what Jesus Christ has to say at this, in this episode. God... God Sees how I give. He sees my heart. He sees my emotion. He sees what prompts it. He sees what motivates me. He sees what I'm living for. He sees what's important to me. He sees how I give. He also sees what I give. He knows what was written on the check or what was in the envelope or what was sent from the, from the bank online. He, God knows the amount. He knows how much I give. He knows what I give. But I want you to notice something else, and this is the thing that grips me. God judges my gift. God judges my gift. Verse number three of our text, Jesus Christ said, Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. He judged the amount of money that each person gave. I learned from that that when... when when God's eyes run to and fro and God sees my life and God sees the details of how I live my life, one of the arenas of my life that God is very attuned to is my financial life. And when I give to meet somebody's need or to fund a missionary or whatever, God sees how I give, God sees what I give, and God passes judgment on the value of my gift. He said that little widow... Cast in more than the rich person whose abundance of coins clattered and made such a commotion as they made their way into the offering basket. Now, I need, I need a couple of people who, who, who have relatively uh, at least conversant with money. I've got a stack of $50 bills. Full disclosure, they're blank on the back. <laughs> and they're smaller than a real $50 bill. Ninety-two people, come on off here. Yeah, you can come too. Okay. Now, I want you one of you to stand right here. I want the other to come right over here. Okay? Now, I'm going to start over here. I'm going to give you $1,000. Nobody will accept it for real money. You won't get a donut with this. But I'm going to give you $1,000, okay? Now, they're 50. They're all 50s. $50 bill, okay? Put your hand out. Okay, that's 100, 200, 
300, 400, 500, 600. That's okay. I'll get it. That's the replacement. 700, 800, 900, 1,000. Now, hold on. Don't drop them. Just don't put them in the offering plate. Just hold on to them. Okay? So you got got 1,000 bucks. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I guess. Okay, now you draw the short end of the, you drew the short straw. Okay, hold your hand out. That's 100, 200, 250. How much you got? $250. How much you got? 1,000. 1,000. Now, you may need some help. I don't know how good you are in math. Do you know what 20% of 1,000 is? If not, ask a friend. Okay, how much? Well, that's a that's a pretty good guess. I'd like you to be my broker. Oh, <laughs> Somebody help me. How much is twenty percent of a thousand dollars? What's twenty percent of a thousand dollars? How much? Two hundred dollars? How many fifties would it take to make two hundred dollars? Okay, I want you to take four of those, and I want you to put them in the offering plate and keep the rest of them. Okay, you just gave $200 in the offering plate, right? Okay. Now, what would 20% of $250 be? Um, uh, You might have to ask for some help. What is 20%? I, I see a couple of, I see some legal minds and some accountant minds back in the back. Maybe we can get them to tell. How much is 20% of $250? $50. I want you to put $50 in the offering plate. Okay. Keep a hold of that. Now, how much did you put in the offering plate? $200. $200. How much did you put in the offering plate? 50 bucks. Who do you think gave the most money of the two of you? Declan. You think Declan gave the most money? Because he gave how much? $200. And how much do you give? $50. $50. You think Declan gave more? I want, I want to share with you a secret. No, I didn't. You gave more. Jesus Christ said that little widow that dropped in two little mites gave more than all the rich people that put in A whole bunch of money. Now, why do you think Jesus Christ said that? Because. Why? Because he said that because uh, the widow that put in two, she was more poor. Uh, So the amount of money she had, uh, it's hard to explain, but she technically gave him. That's exactly right. God judges my gift. And God judges the value of my gift. But He doesn't judge the value of my gift based upon the amount I put in the offering plate. He judges the value of my gift based on the amount that I still have in my bank account. And the rich people who gave what would what most people, if you learn old math, you would say the rich people gave more. But heaven uses the new math. And the new math judges the value of a gift, not based on what's put in the plate, but what's still in the bank account. The rich people went home with an abundance of money. That they don't want to give up. But the widow went home. She pretty well gave it all. And so she gave more. Thank you. You can put all the money in there. Because I don't want you taking that counterfeit money. You just drop it all in there. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate you helping me. Thank you very much. God. 
passes judgment on what I do with the resources I have control over. You see, there's something that that somewhere along the line, in my opinion, Bible teachers got really messed up on teaching about money. And they sometimes give the idea that if you give 10% of what you have to God, the other 90% is yours to do with any way you want. And sometimes it'll be said that if you'll give 10% to God, the 90% you still have will go further than the 100% would have gone had you not given to God. You know, the Bible never teaches that. Nowhere in the Bible is that taught. Oh, in the Old Testament, they had tithing. It's even mentioned in the Gospels, tithing. And a tithe means 10%, but what is seldom what is seldom talked about is that there were three different tithes. And in Malachi, when God accused Israel in their apostasy of stealing from him, he said, well, we haven't robbed you. What do you mean we steal from God? We've never stolen from you. Where have we stolen from you? God said, you've stolen from me in tithes. And it's plural because there were three of them. To tithe means to give 30% of your income. However, one of the tithes was only given every third year. So you'd give 20% one year, 20% the next year, 30% the third year, 20, 20, 30, 20, 20, 30. That averages out to 23 and 3rd per year. To tithe means to give 23 and a third percent of your income, but it didn't end at that. God said, you have robbed me by not giving your tithes and offerings. There were free will offerings on top of the 23 and a third percent. And God said, you've stolen from me because you've not been faithful. No, no, this idea of 10% is God's and 90% is mine to do with what I want, that is nowhere taught in the Bible. I'll tell you what is taught in the Bible, of which the nation of Israel as a theocracy, as a nation under which God put them under a theocratic kingdom set of laws whereby they had to give three different tithes and then offerings on top. That system was a picture of something far bigger that is more powerful And the Bible calls that stewardship. Stewardship means that God owns everything. God owns everything. There's nothing that exists that God doesn't own. He not only owns every dollar in my bank account as a safe person, He owns every dollar in the bank account of every unsafe person. God owns every safe person, but He also owns every unsafe person. He owns every corporation. God owns everything. Everything in his universe because he created it all and he created it for him, for his purposes and glory. And then he makes me a steward of some of his stuff. That's everything I have control of. My house, my car, my clothes, every penny in the bank. It's all God's. But he makes me the steward of his stuff. He allows me to use some of his stuff to finance my lifestyle. But he gives me control of his stuff to use for his glory. Stewardship is life changing. If you ever get a hold of the biblical teaching of stewardship, you'll never look at money the same again. God passes judgment on our gifts. And the criteria for his judgment is not the amount I give of his stuff back to him. It's the amount of his stuff I keep for myself. That's the mechanism or the data by which he judges the value of what I use to meet the needs of other people and send missionaries around the world. Finance God's kingdom work. God judges my gift. I want you to see a final, a final lesson. And that is God learns something from my gift. God learns something. 
Say, how could God learn anything? Well, a little bit of a play on words, maybe. God watches my giving, how I give, what I give. He passes judgment on my gift. And from all of that, God learns my heart. He learns how much I love him. He learns how important he is to me. The Bible says it's only in the area of financial stewardship that we prove the sincerity of our love. We've studied those passages in in the books of Corinthians. See, anyone can say, I love you. There was a bumper sticker someone had. I wouldn't say it just quite this way, but the bumper sticker said, Tithe if you love Jesus. Anyone can honk. The thing that proves whether I really mean it when I say I love God is how I manage His stuff for His purposes, for the needs of other people. Here's this widow. She doesn't have anything. She only gave a couple of coins, a couple of bucks at best. But she gave what she had and went home without anything, totally trusting God to take care of her. Luke chapter 12 told us back when we studied in Luke 12 that where your treasure is there shall your heart be also. It's true. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What you really love is what you invest in. And this poor widow's gift said, God, I love you. God, I trust you to take care of me. And at the end of a very difficult day, Jesus Christ saw that and it blessed his heart. And he said, disciples, come here. Come here. Did you see what I just saw? And every week, members of Community Baptist Church are a blessing to Jesus Christ. You have been a blessing to Jesus Christ for 25 years. God has watched this church family send missionaries to six of the seven continents of the world and maintain their presence there. God has watched a handful of people raise millions of dollars to build a building to house our ministries. God has watched people give Small gifts and big gifts. And when God watches you, God learns your heart. And God is blessed. He sees that person slip over to the offering box on the wall. Nobody knows. But God and that person what was in that envelope. But God saw it. And God was blessed by what He saw. God, God sees... Somebody find out that there's a member of the church that has a need and they, and they give to meet that need. And God sees that. And God is so blessed as He sees the heart of one of His children using some of God's resources to be able to take care of somebody else. And God is blessed. And He smiles at what He sees. I'm so proud of Community Baptist Church. I am so proud of the membership of CBC who for 25 years have demonstrated a heart and love for Jesus Christ through their faithfulness and financial stewardship. Over the years, people have learned that God sees how they give, what they give. He judges their gift and He learns their hearts by watching them give. And they've responded to the doctrine of giving in the Word of God. And they have so blessed Jesus Christ. You know what I think? I can't prove that. I don't know if it's true or not. But I really do think that when Jesus Christ is in heaven and he looks over the banister and he looks down at Community Baptist Church and he sees someone slip back there and drop something in that offering safe. I I just think Jesus does now what he did on Tuesday, the day of conflict. He finds somebody close to him. And he says, hey, angel, angel, come here, come here, come here, come here. 
Come here, angel. Come on. Come on. Come over here. Look, 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 look. Do you see what I just saw? And you bless Jesus Christ. Just like that poor widow blessed Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. You know, what I preach to you this morning is true of every unsaved person as well as every saved person. Because stewardship is not a doctrine for the saved. It's a doctrine for humanity. One of the things that unsaved people will answer for at the great white throne judgment is for their selfishness, living for themselves. Can you imagine the people that had extravagant amounts of money and wasted it? On stuff that they never used. I remember reading that Michael Jackson used to go shopping and he would take an entourage of people with him. And he'd just walk through some exquisite store and he'd say, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. They would collect them, they would write the checks or pay from his estate. And they would all be taken to a Michael Jackson warehouse and he would never see it again. And never use it. I don't know if that's true or not. I read that as a report about his financial situation. Do you realize that the world will give an account to God for how they managed God's stuff? And when God sees people who are generous, who love others, and love God's kingdom work around the world, and they use God's stuff for God's purposes, God smiles and is blessed. By the people who love him. We'll all give that account one day. A saved and is lost. The results will be different obviously. But we'll have the opportunity for Jesus Christ to say. It was obvious how much you loved me. Welcome home.